continuing our series in Acts this morning, and uh, we're going to be at the end of Acts chapter 4, and we're going to go into the beginning of chapter 5. And really what we have seen up to this point is um, the, a, a church that is a, a strong um, a strong community really of friends. I mean, when we see the way that they're living together, that they're treating each other, relating to each other, we see friendship here. We see a really close, tight-knit community, a community that is not afraid to proclaim the name of Jesus and to invite people to come and be a part of the family of God. We, we see a church that is courageous and bold, we see a church meeting needs and caring for each other. We see a church of real, genuine love. And I hope that as we have gone and looked at all of these things and seen these things in this first group of believers here, this first generation of the church, I hope you've been encouraged because so much of what we have seen in these pages are things that we experience in this community, in this church, with our friends and in these relationships. And so that should encourage us, that should strengthen us, that should motivate us to keep doing the things that we're doing. This morning, in our passage, we are going to see that strength again. We are going to see what made this church so transformational, what made it stick out in the society in which it, it, it operated and, and existed. But we are going to encounter for the first time, not the first time, but the first time that Luke records it, some danger that this church experienced from within. And so this morning, this is going to be kind of one of those times where we are encouraged and yet we are warned at the same time. And I hope that as we walk out of here this morning, um, that we will take it with us um, and, and that we will continue, as I said, to do the things that we are doing, to continue to be the church body that we have been. Read with me starting in verse 32 of chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that, claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? 
What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard it about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you remember, he wrote this book to a man named Theophilus. And what this book is, is Luke explaining to Theophilus what these early Christians were about. And we see again, as we've seen a couple of times before this, at the end of chapter four, there's a summary statement here. Luke's giving kind of a progress report to Theophilus. Okay, this is what is true of the church at this point. This is who they are. These are the characteristics of this fellowship. And Luke writes that this, that this church, this group of believers were of one heart and mind. There was a real and genuine love and community that was happening here. This is that koinonia that we've talked about before. This deep connection, this deep fellowship and shared experience that is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, in a group of people controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that this genuine community expressed itself in a few different ways. There was no possessiveness. There was no selfishness. There was no expectation of reciprocity that if I give you something, if I help you out, then I'm going to make a mental note of that and expect you to pay me back. I'm going to expect, if I scratch your back, I'm going to expect you to scratch mine. Luke says there was none of that here. There was no self-interest. People were readily jumping in and meeting each other's needs stepping up and stepping into the needs that each other, that they had at this point in their life, whenever those needs would come up. And we have to remember that these, that these Christians here in Acts, that these were people that ranged from high class, very wealthy individuals, all the way down to lower class, very poor individuals and everywhere in between. They obviously were a group of people who had enough well-to-do folks that they could have houses big enough to gather. I mean, think about that. Like in this time, most of the living quarters were very small. And so they had enough people where they could have gatherings in, they needed to have gatherings in larger spaces. And they obviously had people who were wealthy enough to have houses that were big enough where they could gather. They were also wealthy enough to sell their property, to sell possessions, to sell their land and give all of those profits 
back to the church to meet need. Now, this seems natural to us. This seems like uh, how it should be. But I think that how radical this was in this ancient society can sometimes be lost on us in our modern day. This did not happen in a, in a society where status and class divisions were strictly enforced. You didn't hang out with people. You didn't associate with people who were of a different class than you. This is radical. And the practice of these believers, how they treated each other, leveled the playing field. They were believers in Jesus Christ. They were brothers and sisters in God's family. They weren't rich people and poor people, high-class people and low-class people. What we're seeing here is the fact that these people were genuinely and truly following Jesus. Because this is the way that Jesus lived. This is what He modeled. This is what He taught about the kingdom of God. Generosity, humility, self-sacrifice. The first being the last. The rich becoming poor. This was how Jesus lived. This is what Jesus taught. And the apostles are passing this down to these folks. And this is what is happening in their midst. And that's what Luke tells us in verse 33. The reason that this community was the way it was was that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. The Holy Spirit of God was at work in them, transforming them, transforming their relationship, transforming their perspectives about who they were and where they fit in, transforming the way that they looked at their money and their possessions, transforming the way that they looked at other folks in need. This kind of community where the faithful preaching of Jesus Christ was coupled with loving one another in real tangible ways was made possible because of the power of the Spirit. I know a number of you over the last six to eight months have probably had conversations with people about what the church should be. Should the church be a place where we only preach the gospel about Jesus? of Jesus? That's the church's job. Or should the church be a place where we love people and we meet needs and we do justice and extend mercy? There are so many Christians who live in this false dichotomy that we have to do one or the other. That if the church goes and tries to meet needs, then it's a slippery slope before we abandon the gospel. That if the church is strong on preaching the gospel, then we're just going to turn people off and nobody's going to want to come. What we see here in the book of Acts is a community that rejects that sort of binary choice. We see a community that is doing both. Preaching and teaching the truth and loving each other in real tangible ways. Folks, that's this church too, right? We have experienced this. We are a church who does not shy away from saying what is true. We are a church that does not shy away from going out in our community and telling people what you really need is Jesus. 
and inviting people to come and experience that truth in real tangible ways where we meet needs and we stand up for those who are are beaten down and we step into places that are dark because that's who we are. That should encourage us. That should motivate us. And by God's grace, we will be faithful to do both of these things because this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 30 and 30, 34 and 35, Luke writes that this manifested itself in a very specific way. That believers in this church who owned land, who owned property, would sell their property and then they would take all the proceeds, all of the profits from that sale and bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed to those in need. Now, what's implied here is that not everybody sold every possession they had and brought it to the church. What is implied is that when a property was sold, sold, when possessions were sold, that people brought those voluntarily and freely to the church for the church to use. They laid them at the apostles' feet. Kind of like our mercy fund. When you, when you give to our mercy fund, you're saying, I don't know how this is going to be used, but I want it to be used to, 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 to bless people who are in need. And you trust us as a church, to oversee that and to steward that in a responsible way and to get those funds to people who really need them. This was free. This wasn't mandatory. Nobody's arm was being twisted. But this generosity was free. It was voluntary. And it came from the Spirit. And that's what makes the next part of this story so tragic. As we come to chapter 5, we see that this value that the church had, valuing people over possessions, is violated. This community of people who were committed to following Jesus and have that, and that commitment manifest itself in true generosity and love for one another, that commitment is violated. Let me read the first verse, four verses of chapter 5 again for you. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. It's easy to look at this story, and I've heard it taught this way many times, that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was greed. 
And sure, there was greed at play here. There was a desire to keep things back for themselves. But what Luke is laying out here is that this couple was not only guilty of greed. They were guilty of secrecy. Deception. Duplicity. And it was premeditated. They wanted to keep some things back for themselves. They wanted to give less and not tell anybody about it. Because they wanted to be seen as more generous than what they really were. They wanted to be seen as more generous than they really were. And Peter confronts Ananias and accuses him not of lying to, not only lying to him and the other apostles and the rest of the church, but more importantly, lying to God. And I think that's really interesting and that's really significant because what Peter is saying is you lied to God by lying to your friends and your community. You lied to God by lying to us. I mean, think about that. He did not just lie. He deceived. He pretended. He tried to make himself look a certain way that he really wasn't. And in doing so, he violated that koinonia, that deep commitment and fellowship that these people had with each other. He violated the openness and honesty and commitment of this church community. And ultimately, in lying to Peter and the apostles, lying to the church, trying to deceive the church, Peter says that you deceived God. You tried to lie to God. Why? Because God is here. When we lie to each other, when we deceive each other, we are deceiving God. We're trying to pull one over on God because God lives in you and God lives in me. And God relates to us through each other in real personal ways. I think sometimes it is, um, it's difficult for us to really fully understand this reality of being part of the body of Christ. We are very individualistic people. We are very independent people. We operate kind of in our own little way. And, and, and in a lot of ways, that's good. I mean, thankfully, we live in a country where we can do that and we can make choices for ourselves and for our families that are good. But sometimes that we don't fully comprehend what it means to be a part of a larger community. And oftentimes we talk about this in the positive way, that we all have different gifts to bring to this body, that we all are a different part of this body, that when we come together and bring all of our gifts together, when we are unified together, then Jesus is seen more clearly. We reflect who God is. We look more like God when we are all together bringing our full selves. But what we see here is the negative is that when we sin, 
When sin goes unchecked in our own lives, that not only affects us, that affects the whole body. Because we are linked together. We have a bond together. We are united together by the Spirit of God. And that's why we talk so much and we practice truth-telling and honesty and vulnerability. Because it's not just for our sake and our own well-being, but it's for the health of our body and our community. And I know enough of you in this room who have been damaged by the lies and the deceptions of other people. Spouses, friends, family members who pretended to be one thing and were entirely another. That's not just something that affected them. It damaged lives, wreaked destruction in communities. I think about in Joshua chapter 7, if you remember this story of a man named Achan, who uh, when the um, Israelites conquered Jericho, God told them, don't take anything. Leave everything there. But this one man named Achan, he stole. He thought nobody else would do would know. And he buried it in his tent under the ground so that nobody would know. And what happened? They went out to fight another battle and they got slaughtered. And Joshua goes before the Lord and he's like, I don't understand, God. We obeyed you. We did what you told us to do. And God says, but not one. And it's a powerful story about the sin of one man, the disobedience of one man, the selfishness of one man, the duplicity of one man affected an entire nation of people. What's sad here is that Peter acknowledges to Ananias, this was your land. You owned it. You sold it. You had the choice to do with it what you wanted to do with it. Nobody was twisting your arm. Nobody was forcing you to give. And yet you chose to lie. You chose to deceive. And what Peter tells this man is that in making that choice, you opened the door for darkness. You opened the door for darkness. You left your friends exposed and vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. And folks, this is how Satan works in the church. Satan doesn't divide and bring destruction in some abstract, ethereal way. He does it through us. That's what we need to be aware of. Is that the havoc that Satan is trying to wreak in the church? He uses us to do it. He uses us to do it. When we do not check ourselves before God, when we let sin and our own choices and our own desires run rampant, when we choose to be more focused about what's good for me instead of what's good for everyone else, we open the door. We open the door for all of us 
we open the door and leave ourselves in harm's way. Peter confronts Ananias. He calls him out. He exposes his sin. And Luke tells us that upon hearing this, Ananias fell down and died. And the word there, the Greek word literally means he breathed his life out. Luke doesn't tell us how Ananias died. He doesn't tell us that Peter killed him or proclaimed some curse over him to kill him. For all we know, he could have died of shock, of being exposed and just called on the carpet. But what we do know is that his sin had devastating consequences for his own life. Some young men came in, they wrapped him up, they took him out, which is a whole nother thing because in this culture, honorable burial was really, really important. It was a deeply personal thing that was taken care of by the family. And in this situation, to have strangers handle your body, bury it, and not even notify your spouse says a lot about what happened here. There's a deep sadness and there's a dishonor here. Well, a few hours later, Sapphira comes in. And again, we don't know why, you know, we don't know if she was called in by the apostles or if she showed up looking for her husband. But Peter gives her a chance. A chance to confess about confess what they've done, to repent of trying to deceive the community. And instead, she sticks to their story. And Peter's response here is not one of cold and callous judgment. But when I read this, I can hear in his voice, how? Why? Why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why? 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 They weren't under any obligation to give to this community. It was their free choice. They could have come and said, hey, we can't give all of our money for this. They could have been honest. They could have explained. But they chose deliberately to deceive. And just like her husband, Sapphira dies. And as you can imagine, I mean, this is Luke understatement of the century. Great fear seized the whole church. Great fear seized the whole church. And that word for church is the word ecclesia. And it's the first time in Acts that Luke uses this word for the community. And he will continue to use this word throughout the book of Acts to describe this people, this assembly of believers. And I don't know, maybe Luke introduces that word here because it's at this moment that the group, this group of followers of Jesus see themselves as more than just individuals but see themselves as part of a corporate body, the people of God. Ananias and Sapphira violated that integrity. They violated the community. And this story is one, there's a sacredness here. 
And there's a fear of these folk from these folks of violating it in the same way. This is a sweet and bitter story. Sweet in the sense that we see the beauty of God at work in this church. And bitter because we see how easily it is to violate that and to open up our community for the powers of darkness to work. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we desire to be people, to, to, to be seen as someone we're not. I mean, we know who we are. We know all the nasty things about us. We, but we still want to be respected. We still want to be loved. We still want to be needed by each other. Because of that, we are tempted to hide. We are tempted to hide ourselves. We are tempted to pretend that we are more generous than we really are, that we're more committed than we really are, that we're more spiritual than we really are, that we're more loving and sacrificial than we really are. We're tempted to cover up the fact that we do really keep score. We're tempted to cover up the fact that we do really, as Nate said, want to punish people that we don't like. We want to cover up the fact that we aren't really as invested in following Jesus as we lead other people to believe. Even though we may not think that it rises to this level, we're still in danger of lying to God. We are in danger of trying to deceive God because we are trying to deceive the community that God has put us in. People indwelt by the Holy Spirit. People God has put in our lives to show us who He is, to minister to us, to reveal Himself to us. And when we choose to pretend for each other, to outright lie and deceive each other, we are ultimately lying to God. You may say, well, doesn't God know everything about me? He knows who I am. He knows all of my stuff. He knows my struggles. He knows these things. Well, it's a lot. There's a big difference in God knowing about us because he's God and us owning up to it and telling him. Parents, you've probably dealt with this, when you look under the couch and you find candy wrappers, when you find full-size Hershey, Hershey chocolate bar wrappers stuffed behind a chair somewhere, you know that your kid has done something that they knew they weren't supposed to do. But doesn't it make a big difference when they own up to it? It does. I don't know. Because Luke doesn't give us any more information about Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know what their heart condition was. I don't know what they were wrestling with. I don't know where they were at with God. But I do know that there was something that was not right. And it showed up in their lives. It showed up in how they treated other people. Their relationship with God. There was something broken about their relationship with God because their relationship with this church community was also broken. Truth. Vulnerability, 
honesty. Those are good for our own soul. And we can't be honest. When we can't be honest with each other about what is going on in our lives, when we are trying to conceal who we really are from other people, it is indicative of a broken relationship with God. Things aren't right. If we can't own up to who we are with each other, then we ultimately are trying to hide ourselves from God. Folks, when we can come to a place where I can admit and you can admit that we are people who are capable of taking advantage of other people for our own good. When we are capable of hurting others because it makes us feel good. When we are capable of covering up things in our lives because we want people to like us and think a certain way about it. When we can come to a place where we can admit those things and own those things, it is then that the Spirit of God has access to work in our lives. That's why we talk about this. That's why we practice this. That's why we're not content with being surfacy with each other. That's why we are going to try to draw each of us out into the open because it's not only good for our own souls. If we don't, we will destroy this church. We will hurt each other. We will lay waste to the community that God has given us. Our actions matter. Our sin and our selfishness left unchecked opens the door for Satan to get in here and start working and wreaking havoc. I want to invite you this morning to step out into the light. I want to invite you to stop pretending. To stop trying to be somebody that you're not. I want to invite you to step into a space of mercy and of grace. Think about who gave Sapphira the opportunity to repent. The same man who tried to present himself as strong. As full of faith. As a man who would give his own life for Jesus. And yet lied. And deceived. And ran away and hid. And he stood before Sapphira and said. Come out. Is this true? A man who had received mercy himself. A man who was given grace by Jesus and invited to step out and receive healing and restoration. This passage is a warning to us that our lives matter, not just for us, but in this community. And that if we're not serious about what's going on in us, we will do damage to people that we care about. But it's also an encouragement that when we are courageous in stepping out, when we are courageous in bringing our full selves and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I've done. That there is mercy and that there is grace. 
And there is opportunity for forgiveness, for healing, and for restoration. I know who I am. So I'm not going to be surprised to find out who you are. Do that today. If you want to talk with me or Pastor Nate after the service, we'd love to talk with you. If you need to go to somebody in this room and make things right, do that. If you need to say something to your spouse, do it today. It's not easy. It takes courage. But in the end, we will all be better off for it. You'll find under your chair your communion cup. As we take this this morning, we are doing so as a symbol. Together. That we share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we, individually before God, and relationally with each other, can find forgiveness, can find healing, can find transformation because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave himself up so that we could live. Jesus humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. Jesus willingly was separated from his father so that we would never be separated again. So this morning, let's take this, the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We are broken people. We are sinful people. We are people that you have redeemed. And yet we still need you each and every day. I pray that you would protect us from the devil's lies, from his deception, from his tricks, and the ways in which he wants to get in this community and do damage. Lord, I pray that you would help us to increasingly become people who love each other well because we are genuine, because we are pure in heart, we know we will be blessed. I pray this morning that you would give courage to those who need to step out into the light. I pray that you would give mercy and grace to those who need to forgive. And God, I pray that you would keep us united. Keep us united. In Jesus' name, amen.